All right, welcome. It's so good to see everybody in the room. Thank you for braving the cold. You're staying warm. See, you thought I was crazy wearing a hat in this room. Like, I was just ahead of the trend, right? I mean, it is, it's cold back here, too, especially. I don't know. You get out here, it's not as bad, but it's good to see everybody. If you're tuning in from home, thank you so much for being with us. If you're out in the atrium, thank you as well for being a part of this beautiful Valentine's Day. It's a little cold here in northern Colorado. If you're tuning in from someplace that's warm, we don't like you. Go ahead and log off. We don't even want you to be a part of our time. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Send the warmth our way. So going to be a great day today at Valfest. Make sure you're sharing with your friends. To hot, tell them to hop in the car, drive through. We've got a great Valentine's box for everybody that comes through, at least the first 300 cars that drive through. And thanks to everybody volunteering to make that happen. Uh, Valentine's Day is a funny day, right? I mean, it is actually, did you know Valentine's Day is a Christian holiday? Uh, it's kind of funny enough. St. Valentine is uh, where it gets its name from. Uh, and one thing that, that the Christian faith has been great at doing is co-opting pagan holidays. Like, we've been really good at it. Like, I mean, let's just own that. I mean, that, that is like a, that's the gift the church has given to us. If the pagans can come up with a reason to celebrate, we can top it and take it, you know? And hence, Christmas is on December 25th, right? And, but who's still around? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking around. Just joking around. But St. Valentine's an interesting guy, right? Uh, there's two, like the debate is out as to which St. Valentine it is that we celebrate on St. Valentine's Day. Uh, and, and it's not Cupid, right? Totally different evolution of the holiday. But uh, there's two St. Valentines that both were, I believe, bishops in Rome at around uh, maybe in the mid-3rd mid, mid century. Uh, both were martyred. Uh, and, and you can Wikipedia me. I'm sure I'm getting the dates wrong. I, don't, I haven't studied St. Valentine. But I do believe one of them was uh, thought to be martyred because th- this because he performed marriages when Rome outlawed marriages. So the, the emperor had said, hey, soldiers are better when they're not married. So it made it illegal. And the, the, this St. Valentine, Valentine at the time, uh, continued to marry people in secret and then was martyred for it. The other Valentine uh, was also thrown in jail and martyred uh, for some other reasons. But we have a letter. He actually fell in love and wrote a letter. And like it's thought that that was the first origination of your Valentine is where that came from. Isn't that fun? Aren't you glad you tuned in today? Like, all right, let's close in prayer. (laughs) Bring the band back out. We got a great closing song for you. Be like, that was the best church ever. How many of you have ever said, love made me do it? Anybody ever heard that statement? Tune in online. You ever, maybe you've never said it, but can you think of something really dumb you've ever done that at the end of the day, you're like, the only thing that can explain that is love or lust or maybe too much alcohol. I don't know. I'm going to let you decide, but... uh, but we do get motivated by this, what we call this emotion of love, right? And we can easily say, love made me do it. There are things that I think about in my life that I go back and go, like, that was definitely this feeling of love. Somebody in, in the comment section during our 9 o'clock broadcast, uh, they were great. They said, yeah, they drove like 14 hours. It was like a six-hour drive. It took them 14 hours because the weather was bad, and it was definitely an act of love. Uh, they didn't go into it like it was, but we've done some things. We've put ourselves in peril and harm's way because of love. Right? It's a powerful motivating force in our life. And sometimes we're motivated by love, right? That's what we say. And we say, love made me do it. Like there was this emotion, this feeling that motivated us to maybe spend a little too much. Anybody ever done that? Spend what you don't have, right, on somebody. Or maybe you fell in love with the car and you said, I got to have it, right? Whatever it might be. But love can motivate us. Love can motivate us to do crazy things, reckless things, dangerous things. Uh, you love someone, you don't want to look like a coward maybe, and you do something foolish or silly. You can probably think of it, but, but sometimes love isn't that thing that motivates us, but sometimes something else motivates us to love, 
right? Sometimes we're motivated to love. Sometimes we experience the pain in someone's life, and that motivates us to this other side of love, this like actionable thing, right? Sometimes we hear a story and we go, oh man, I can't believe that. And so we're motivated to love, right? And, and it moves from this emotion that drives us and it becomes actionable, something that we do. And this really does bring out the complexity of this thing we call love, right? That song that Frank Sinatra sang, Love is a Many Splendored Thing. If you've seen uh, the movie Moulin Rouge, one of the songs starts with Ewan McGregor. Is that how you say it? Ewan? Or is it Ewan? Ewan? Obi-Wan said, love is a many splendor things, right? And, uh, and then he starts singing, all you need is love, right? And, and it's interesting because that, that is such a true statement, that love is many splendor thing. There's so, much, so many aspects to love that, you know, we could spend a lifetime, multiple lifetimes, like unpacking what does it mean to say we love someone or we say we love something. We use this word to talk about ice cream and our pets and our spouses and cars, and television shows, right? I mean, it is a spectrum, this thing called love. And so today what I'd like to do over the next 17 hours is just break all that down for you. And uh, don't worry, your heat is on, you're here. No, I'd like to spend just a few moments um, maybe trying to drill down to the most basic, fundamental way to think about love that could actually transform us in our world. It's not complicated. It's going to be kind of a duh moment. You're going to think to yourself, we actually paid him to do that talk, like, because it really is very simple and basic. But I think we can get overwhelmed with love. I think we can get overwhelmed with the emotion of it. We can get overwhelmed with having to try and meet every like element of what love is. But maybe if we just broke it down, we could actually start to see love in our world because we have a, maybe a healthier understanding of it. So I want to look for some wisdom today in Scripture, which is what I try to do, by the way. You'll hear me say often, that I think that Scripture is a collection and is a book that's meant for us to uh, gain wisdom from. I don't believe that the Bible, the collection of writings we call the Bible, is a very good rule book. Uh, I think it's a very confusing rule book, but I think it's a great book of wisdom. And so I'm always uh, enga engaging with Scripture, and we as a church, every time during we have these talks, we open up and we look to Scripture because we do believe that there's something inspired about it and inspiring. There's something unique about this literature that offers us a path of wisdom that honors God in this world, in, in us. And, and it also gives us a great picture of people trying to do the same thing in time periods so different than what we lived in. So I want to look at this letter that we have in a part of the Bible called the New Testament. If you're new to Bible study, welcome. No prerequisite knowledge required. There's this, the Bible is a collection of all these different types of writings, and one, it has one type of writing in it are letters, these ancient letters that we have. And one letter that was written to uh, people who were seeking to follow Jesus is called 1 John. There's three letters, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Sometimes I get it confused. I think there's 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Peter. There is no 3rd Peter. So if you hear me talking about 3rd Peter, I'm just trying to pull one over on you. There isn't one, okay? So 1st John uh, mentions love over and over and over again. So it's a great place to start. It'd be a fun, uh, good letter for you to read. Uh, but this is just this letter that is written, uh, and it's written in the name of John, uh, one of the apostles, and, and it's talking about what love really is and how love impacts our lives. And, and kind of the, I think one of the heartbeats of this letter is there's this emerging problem that's happening where people are saying they're filled with God's love, that they love one another, but there is no demonstrable difference in their life. That if you were to look at two people, one person who espouses to love God and have the love of God coursing through their spiritual veins, so to speak, and then a person who doesn't, there was no 
marked difference. And so I think this letter kind of comes as a call, as a reminder to what this is all about in this life of love. So we're going to roll through a couple of verses together here, see if we can't gain some wisdom as to what love actually is. So uh, this is how it starts. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, from the beginning of it all with Jesus. This is the message. We should love one another. It's not super complicated, that message, right? Like, this is what it's about. Like, imagine if every church just started that way. This is the message we said from the beginning. We say it over and over and over again. Love one another, love one another, love one another, love. This is the point. This is what we struggle with in our world, to love one another. And we love one another, unlike Cain, who belonged to the evil one and slaughtered his brother. Why did he slaughter his brother? Because his own works were evil and those of his brother righteous. Don't be amazed then, siblings, if the world hates you. That's a super fun passage. (laughs) What is going on here? Okay, so you got to know a little bit about Cain and Abel. Some of you might, some of you might not. So Cain and Abel is a story we have in Genesis. Cain and Abel in in the... creation story. And sometimes you'll hear me use the word myth. I don't want you to think that, that, that somehow I think that that lessens it. I use myth in a kind of technical term because it brings meaning to life. There are many wonderful people that believe in kind of a literal uh, reading of Genesis, and there are many people that believe in a metaphorical reading of Genesis. Both are good people, all right? And so I use the word myth sometimes to talk about the creation myth of Christianity, which pr- provided meaning for the Jewish people because really Genesis was really not about the creation of the world. It was helping the Jewish people understand their origins and their beginning, and that's a beautiful thing. But this story, there's these two sons, Cain and Abel, and they come and they present this offering to God, which is very interesting because we don't hear anywhere God saying, bring me offerings. It's kind of strange, but it's built into the imagination and the mind of humanity that the way you kept God's happy was with offerings, and so that's kind of what's going on here. And so Cain and Abel bring this offering, and so the story goes, Cain's offering, not so good for whatever reason, right? For whatever reason, it just isn't pleasing to God. And Abel, on the other hand, his offering is. And so what happens is this good act that Cain, that Abel does provokes Cain to jealousy. Like very, very big time jealousy to the point where he goes out, finds his brother, confronts his brother about it, murders him, buries him. And then God comes searching for Cain and says, oh, you're, the, the blood of your brother Abel cries out to me. And, and this is where we get the phrase brother's keeper because Cain says, what am I, my brother's keeper? <laughs> and God's like, yes. Actually, yes, you are, right? Good, good, good moral in this story, right? So I love that when, when the author of 1 John is trying to help us understand what love is, he goes to like a really low bar example. Like, love is not murdering your brother. <laughs> that's, not, that's not how you do it, right? But, and that's really not the point. What, what the author of 1 John is trying to say is that, listen, when, when love exudes out of you, okay, so here's the problem. Okay, I'm going to just say this. We're working really hard on that interference. And I think it's somebody in this room. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So I don't want you to think we don't know it. Our sound people are working super hard. This is the second or third pack I've been on today. So uh, we've just been having some interference in the room. And that's what that is. So just imagine it, God trying to keep you awake. You're starting to doze off and God wakes you up. All right. Or woke up your neighbor, right? So that's what I mean by it's somebody's fault in here. So what was I saying? Oh, yes, here's the deal. What, 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 what I think the author is trying to get at is that when you and I demonstrate love, when we actually live this thing out, this righteousness of love, there will be a segment of our world that will be really bothered by that. Because it's so counterintuitive. It's so different than the way in which we are prone to think. Like our culture and the world around us 
presses us into drawing these boundary lines and saying who are the good people and who are the bad people. And when you love and function in such a way that the, the offering of your life is love and inclusion and grace, there will be a segment of our population, a segment of this global experience that will, cho- will rather choose hate. It's just going to happen, just like Cain chose hate and, in a sense, murdered his brother, and will continue to murder, right? And so the world, as John would see it, is that group of, that population that still is living for hate over humility, right? Cain, in the story of Cain and Abel, was unwilling to just kind of take a humble look at what, what was the deal here with this sacrifice? What was the deal here with my life that it was unpleasing? And the, the idea of that story that was told from generation to generation was to help people understand there is a way to live that honors God in this world. And there's nothing wrong with saying that, that, that there is a way to do that. And when we see it and we experience it, it oftentimes is very convicting. And will we have the humility to receive that conviction and say, okay, what do I need to do about my life? What are some areas that I need to change? Or will we just turn to hate? And then the writer goes on and says some really fascinating things. He says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our siblings. Now, uh, in the New Testament, in the Greek, it says we love our brother. And I think what the author is trying to do here by using the, 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 the very unneutral gender noun brother is to hearken back to Cain and Abel. Right? But the, the idea here is siblings. Like when we don't, we know that we've passed from death to life when we love our siblings, unlike what Cain and Abel did. Like Cain was still stuck in death. He was stuck in a death mode, right? A way of life. But when you move beyond that, now you know you've passed. When you begin to love one another, and I don't think siblings here is all oh, the family of God and we only love Christians and we don't worry about the people that don't call themselves Christians. Because th- again, in the context, this word brother that gets used over and over again is harkening back to the story of Cain and Abel. But I think we can broaden that out to like the human race, right? We are our siblings together. And so we've passed from death to life when we love one another. It says, whoever does not love remains in death. Isn't that interesting? That you can be fully alive, make all kinds of money, have all kinds of stuff, live the blessed life, so to speak, but still be dead. That these words, life and death, when we read them throughout Scripture, we ought to recognize that this is not, you know, and, and very most often not at all to do with, like, the physical idea, but it's the reality of the spiritual sense. That we can walk around in this world, and we can still be stuck in a death mode. So you're, you're, you go from death to life when you learn to love your, your siblings. Jesus would say your neighbor. And whoever doesn't love remains in death. And everyone who hates their sibling is a murderer. Again, it's going back to Cain, saying this is what's happening in our world. We're killing one another because we aren't showing love. It's the lack of something that actually produces death. And you know that no murderer has eternal life remaining in him. And again, the him is based on this idea of brother, but... Again, these, we have to think of these as metaphorical and an understanding of what the big picture is here. The writer is wanting us to understand when we withhold love, it is the same thing spiritually as murdering someone. We're destroying something that could come to life. And life and death are spiritual realities that have a huge part of the here and now. That we, we need to understand we can be fully alive Breathing, walking, in great physical condition, yet still living in death because we aren't exhibiting love. 
Now, the big question is, what is love, right? That's what I said I was going to talk about, and I haven't even started to. That's why I said we were going to be here for 17 hours, right? No, listen, the, the author is going to get at it. This is great. The way we come to know love, the way we have understood love, the way we came to really know what love is, was not Genesis chapter 1. The way we came to know love was not the Ten Commandments. It wasn't the covenant that God made with Israel that Israel couldn't keep. It wasn't the understanding of God. It wasn't the... No, no. The way we came to know what love really is is that Jesus laid down his life for us. Isn't that good? Like, we didn't understand love until this moment. Like, until Jesus comes on the scene, we, we have a misunderstanding of love. And the truth is, when Jesus kind of leaves the scene, we're still pulled back into these bad understandings of love, right? There's just too much humanity in us. That's why we have this big word called sanctification, right? Where we become more and more like Jesus every day, more and more loving, more and more gracious. And so we, we experience this love and we understand what Jesus does for us, his life, his death, the resurrection. And now, because we've experienced it, we can lay down our lives for our siblings. And the truth is, love has this snowball effect. We experience it from God in Christ it transforms us. It changes us. We just know it. It's a great mystery. We, we feel it deep in our spirits. But then we're transformed, and now we, we, we live it out. And then someone through us experiences God's love, and it just creates this bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger snowball effect. John goes on to say, if someone who has worldly means, and now he's drilling down, okay? So, so the author's drilling down into this is what it means to give up your life for someone like Jesus. Because the author kind of knows most of us aren't going to live as martyrs. Most of us aren't going to literally lay down our physical lives. And so he wants, he wants to get rid of any excuse, right, that somebody would say, well, you know, the only love is just dying for somebody. I don't have the opportunity to die, so whatever. No, he's going to drill down to the most basic, fundamental building block of love. If someone who has worldly means sees a sibling in need and refuses that sibling compassion, how can the love of God remain in them? Did you catch that? So here's what it is. Like, this is what love is. You got to have it. If you see a need, so you have the opportunity, and you have the means to meet the need, and then you actually do it, that's love. It's just meeting the needs of somebody. I see that you have a need. I give of myself. I help meet that need. That's love. Isn't that great? No? Okay, I'll say it again. I'm going to catch you. All right, no. no. It's, just, it's not that complicated. It's very difficult to live out, right? But if we can like, peel back all the layers of the onions and all the stuff that Cupid and Valentine's Day and the, the wedding rings and you know, all the stuff, right? At the end of the day, the bottom line building block of love, right, is I see a need, I actually can meet the need, and then I do it. <laughs> That's it. Now, when, and, and if God is love, right, then what that says is God is me seeing a need, <laughs> recognizing I have some means to meet that need, then meeting the need. Now God is present. And so now I can see God at work all over this world, whether God is being invoked or not. Because again, I don't think that God is so petty that God is, gets really upset when God doesn't get the credit for stuff. And you know why I think that? Because every good parent, like you know you've helped your kids along the way and they've got maybe a good grade because of you or they beat you at a game, right? You let them win. And, and when they said, I won, did you go, no, you didn't, I let you win. You will give me the honor. No, right, we don't do that. Because on my best days, I don't care who gets the credit when good is accomplished. And if on my best days, I'm the closest to God, 
then I just can't believe that God is so small and petty that when somebody extends an act of love to someone and doesn't have the word Jesus to go with it or that God's not present in that. No, I think what God is trying to get us to see is that God is at work everywhere. Anytime a need is met by another human being, God is present. Love is at work right there and then. And the beautiful thing about following Jesus is you're kind of given this insider track and you get to see it. You go, that was God right there. Well, I don't believe in God. Well, okay, well, you just created God right there. Well, I don't believe, that's fine. You don't have to believe in God, no big deal. I'm just telling you that was God in my understanding, because God is love, and you just love that person. What are you talking about? Yeah, you helped them out. That, that you met their need. They were having trouble at work. You took time, walked them through it. Now they're successful. That's what it's all about. Imagine if the whole world did that. And so the writer says, children, let us love not in word or speech, but in deed and truth. Not that this is a problem anymore, <laughs> right? Isn't it amazing this stuff was written like 2,000 years ago and we still haven't got it right? One author I love to follow says this, this is that believes that spiritually in our understanding of God as human beings, we've grown one year for every hundred years we've been in existence since Jesus. So the human race is coming into like their early 20s when it comes to God, right? Think about your early 20s and you kind of get like your parents are actually kind of smart, <laughs> Right? And you start to have a little bit of responsibility and you don't really have to like call mom and dad for everything, you know? Imagine what the world's gonna be like in its relationship to God and spirituality in, when the world hits its 40s, if we've learned, right? If we've grown. Isn't that great? But that's the idea. It's like this was, this was 2,000 years ago. Don't just say it, do it. We still need to hear this over and over again. Why? Because there is such thing as counterfeit love. And counterfeit love feels really good, makes us feel great. Uh, you know, we just, we get it. We love that feeling. We love the feeling like we've done something. But at the end of the day, counterfeit love changes nothing in no one. I, I, I hate to say this out loud, but counterfeit love is this. Oh, this is so going to get me in trouble. Okay. Counterfeit love is this. I'll pray for you. And then we walk away and that's it. And you might pray for him, but but you know you have the means to help with whatever you're praying for, but then you and I refuse to do it because it's an inconvenience. That's counterfeit love, right? Well, what good is that? Like if, if somebody, if I hear of a need, right? So, so let's get super specific. How's that? I mean, if you really want to feel, let's get super specific. We have people in our church that go through difficult things all the time, right? And this, this cool phenomenon has been happening in our Orange Dots of Hope community on Facebook. We have people have posted meal trains, Right? And so you can sign up for a meal to help these families out when they're in trouble. Right? There's like 300 people in this group, 350 people in this group. Right? There's thousands of people that call Crossroads Church, or maybe even millions. But there's at least thousands that would say, oh, Crossroads my church. Right? But let's just go with the, this orange dot of hope people that said, I, I'm in, and they have Facebook, and they're dealing with it. Right? So you got 16 meals that need to get planned. 300 people. <laughs> Think about this. If you live in northern Colorado... Even if you don't live in northern Colorado and you see this need <laughs> and you like that post about the meal train, but don't sign up to bring a meal, that's counterfeit love. Well, I don't know the person. Who cares? You know, there's a need. Right now, some of you are like, oh, dang it. I think I like that post and <laughs> didn't sign up for it. <laughs> You're welcome. Right. You're welcome. But we all do it, okay? We all do it. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with praying for people. It's wonderful. We should do that. And I, I'm, I'm all for, like, sending thoughts. I don't know what that means, but our thoughts are with you. That's great. I, don't, I mean, okay. I always have this, people say their thoughts are with me. I'm like, I don't care. 
<laughs> Thoughts can be any place else. It doesn't help me at all. What are you doing? But I get it. It's wonderful. If it's followed up with an honest assessment, can I actually do something here? Sometimes we can't. Sometimes you can't sign up for the meal train for lots of reasons. You're out of town, don't have the extra 20 bucks to provide a meal. I get it. That, that's, that's, that's perfectly reasonable. But the truth is most of us can, and we just, oh, we're just going to be praying for you. Oh, well, no, no, that's counterfeit love. But here's the good news. There is, a, there is a magic marker for counterfeit love, and that's action. Right? There is a magic marker for love to know. Is it counterfeit or not? You know what I'm talking about? The magic marker, the counterfeit magic marker. I don't know what they put in this thing, but you run it across a bill, and it tells you if it's fake or not. That magic marker, you ever had that happen to you? You hand the person a $20 bill, and they pull out that. They don't probably do that in COVID anymore. <laughs> probably don't use their teeth to take it off. And they look at you while they do it. Okay, All right. like you're a shady person. I, I freak out when they do that. When they pull that marker out, I just leave. I give them my money. They pull that marker out. I leave my kids there, my groceries. I'm like, let them take care of it. I don't know where I got that money from. <laughs> I don't want to go to jail. Let them go to jail, right? But they, they can do it. They check it, and they know right away it's, it's real, and they take it, right? So you want to know if somebody really loves you or if you really love someone according to the standard of God? Action. Action is it. Action is it. And again, it's not every time. Not, some things are unactionable. You can't do everything. You can't meet every need. But can, do we go out of our way to say, oh, I have the means. There is an opportunity. Now that's love. Now what gets in the way of that in our everyday normal lives is this very simple, what, what oftentimes gets in the way of it is that we don't recognize that love demands that we honor the needs of others as real even when we don't agree with it, right? So we have to honor the needs of the people we say we love. Or just don't say you love them, right? right? Just, just don't do it. But, but we have to honor these needs even when we don't understand them and we don't agree with them. And this is a really interesting phenomenon in relationships, particularly marriages, right? Your spouse says to you, I need a day off. I need a break. I need a break from the kids. I need a break from you. And you can't imagine. Who would need a break from me? <laughs> right, but they, they're, they're at the end. And you think to yourself, I've had the exact same week you had. In fact, my week was actually harder than your week. And so what do we do in that moment? Because we don't need a break, so why should you need a break? And we just bypass it. We dismiss it. And the opposite of honoring then is dismissing. We dismiss the need. Why? Because it's not our need. And because I don't understand it and I don't have the same need and my life is actually harder than yours, it's not valid. But we have to recognize that, whoa, whoa, whoa. Their needs don't have to be my needs to be valid. We're all created differently. We all have different capacities. We all have different experiences in life. So when someone says this is what they need, then we honor that need. And we say, okay, it's real in your world. And until we get to that space of like laying down ourselves and laying down our understanding of another person's life and seeing the world as we see it and only our, like, we have to recognize it. I'll never forget in, uh, oh, I, I, I tread out into these waters and I'm going to get in trouble, but just don't, it's just, in 2016, after the election, uh, I was in Boston the day after the election and, and I was so shocked. Just personally, I was so shocked at the measure of just within this one organization that I was kind of working with, a faith-based initiative, that the, the level of real pain that there was in this community over the results of the election in 2016. And I remember in that moment, I just couldn't understand. I was like, 
I, I, I get it, you're, you know, but like the absolute terror, right? And it, in those moments, I had to realize, well, I haven't had their experiences. I don't know. Like I can be dismissive of them and just say, oh, come on. God's still on the throne. Get over it. Which if you've followed my Facebook, you know how much I love that statement. But, but I could do that. But at the end of the day, I just have to say that need is valid. Like that need for care and concern and spiritual health and safety and a place to talk and fear. Like it flows out of experiences that I know nothing of. And until I pause and say, oh, well, I didn't need that. I might have been disappointed with the results. I might not, I'm, you know, whatever. But my emotional response was different. But it doesn't mean that their need isn't valid in that moment. And that's part of, I think, what God does for us, right? I mean, in sending his son, Jesus, wasn't that a huge validation of a need that we had that God didn't have? That just seems like love. And it always requires sacrifice. It always requires sacrifice. I have to sacrifice my own ego I mean, even in the, in this, in, I always like to use this example of the five love languages. How many of you have read the book, The Five Love Languages? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of you haven't read it. Good for you. No, I'm just kidding. So The Five Love Languages uh, is this book that came out maybe two decades ago. And the premise of the book is wonderful. The premise of the book is all of us need love and all of us give love, but we don't all need and give love the same way. And so what we have to do is learn how the people in our lives receive love, learn how we receive love, and learn how we have a tendency to show love, and recognize that sometimes we show love in a way that is not received. Does that make sense, what I just said? You don't even need to read the book anymore if, I just, if you followed that nonsense, right? And so the book breaks it down and says there's these five ways to give and receive love. And part of what you have to do is lay down your own ego, lay down your own needs, and say, I've got to learn how to fill up the people's tanks around me in a way that they understand, that they experience love. And it's a sacrifice to say, well, this is it. So like there's a difference between uh, words of affirmation, like some people like just hearing words of affirmation, they fill them up. And some people it's quality time together. If you're like me, it's all everything. I, all five are my love languages. I just receive love all the time. I'm just that broken. Like just any way you want to show me love, I'll take it, right? So we all just have these different ways, but we have to break down and make that sacrifice. And do you imagine what the world is like if we actually just get rid of all of our high, fancy, crazy definitions of love, right? And just break it down to this one law. If you see a need and you can meet the need, you have to meet it. You go for it. That's love. And that's the law of love, to love your neighbor. And, and what that does is it heals us. It heals us. It's, it's amazing the healing power of meeting someone's need. All of a sudden, it empowers me as a person to realize I have something to offer this world. I have something to offer someone. So I heal myself in a, in a weird way. And I get to participate in your healing. And that's God at work. Like God healing. Because I all of a sudden am now living in a divine purpose that I have. And that is to love. But it's not some high fancy, you know, take away everybody's problems. Make sure everybody feels good. I can't do that. That, but the most loving thing I can do is say, here's a need. I have the means. I'll do something about it. And that makes us children of God. That's part of peacemaking, wholeness. Now, I have this thing going on in my life right now where I like to look at songs that we sing in church. And, uh, and I like to try and think, is this a song that's propelling us into a better understanding of God, ourselves, and one another? Or is it stuck in a way of thinking about God that might be violent or uh, Zeus-like, whatever it might be. So I like to take the word God out of songs and put the word love in instead, right? And so does that work? 
And if you think about it, we say this all the time, oh, I'm a child of God, I'm a child of God. But what about the phrase, I'm a child of love? That feels to me like so much more meaningful right now when the phrase child of God seems to have been lost. It seems to be abused. It seems to be this inclusion, exclusion kind of word and phrase. But to own that I'm a child of love says something about the character and the nature of who I am. And so we have this great song. It's a fun kind of fast southern song that's just great called Child of Love that they're going to do for us as, as we wrap up. This is a great opportunity to pull out your connect card. Get your offering ready, however you're going to give, whether it's online or through the envelope, whatever it might be. This is a great way to get all that stuff ready and to ask yourself this question, what is God inviting me into today? I just love that question. The premise that God is speaking, that God, that love is challenging me. So maybe God's inviting you to join the Orange Dots of Hope. Maybe you're on Facebook. If you're not on Facebook, I'm not encouraging you to get on Facebook. But if you're already on Facebook, here's how you can kind of redeem it. Join this Orange Dots of Hope. We call it Orange Dots of Hope because we're all dots. Orange just seems to be our color around here these days. But we're all these dots out in the world. And we're just bringing hope wherever we are. And, and each of our dot is connected to the dots around us. And, and we, we've used that illustration at times. I just want to be an orange dot out there in the world. That's what it means to be the scattered church. And this is a great place to experience unconditional love. Like start a meal train for a friend at work. And, and maybe we as a community can jump in and support you. And me, oh, I don't know who that person is, but I'll take a meal. I mean, I, I have the meal train thing in my head because it's just come up a couple of times. But could you imagine if like ever just, just the people that are watching right now and that are in the room, if every one of us said, you know what? For the next year, I'm going to make one meal per week for somebody in need. Just so I'm going to keep my ears open, find out a space and wait. And, and just once a week, I'm going to do this. Imagine if we said it once a month. Like, let's not go crazy. Once a week, that might be like the doctoral level of love. But, you know, maybe like the undergraduate level is once a month, right? Imagine the impact we'd have on people. They're just making a meal. What if the thing was, I'm going to, every time I go to the grocery store, I'm going to buy a spare meal. I'm going to stick it in my freezer so that I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. I never thought about that until this week. Like, do I have just an extra meal ready to go so when I see a need, I can stick it in the oven. I have a frozen, like this, frozen lasagna. That's your jam right there. Just stick a frozen lasagna, and this is your lasagna of love. You know, I haven't said this in any other messages. I'm making this stuff up right now. A lasagna of love in all of our freezers, right? I mean, just always have a lasagna of love. And when you see it, you just thaw it, bake it, drop it off. And on your way home, stop at the store and buy the next one. I bet you, you won't keep that lasagna of love more than a week or two. Because when you're ready to show love to somebody, your eyes will be opened up. Now that's the kind of spiritual growth transformative practice that like, it affects the world. Buy a lasagna of love. That would have been a great next step. I wish I'd have thought of that before. And listen, the last thing, just an encouragement for all of us is, go on this Lent journey together. This Lent journey is going to be powerful only if we submit ourselves to it. If we will just enter into this, it's going to be painful because it's going to challenge us. It's going to convict us, but it's going to grow us in our ability to love. And so I would encourage you. I think that uh, every person, uh, really middle school, high school, uh, even kids can walk through some of these principles with mom and dad for sure. But this again and again journey that we're going to go on over the next 45 days. I, if you're in the room, grab, a, grab one of those books. If you're at home, watch it. Check the box. Participate. Get the weekly email. Be a part of it. 
Let me pray for you, and then we're going to listen to this song and go have Valfest. All right? Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this funny, weird holiday that we have called Valentine's Day. And so, Lord, today we end our experiences again with this great song, Child of Love. That's who we want to be. We want to be makers of lasagnas, really simple, lived out experiences of love that can actually transform and change lives. So spur in us this desire to do just that, to be ready for those moments, to be ready. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear the needs that are all around us and how we might be able to participate in meeting.